0: us here today. Thank you for yesterday. Just a great fellowship we had and the great outreach we had. Just pray you'd open our hearts to uh, your word today. Amen. Did anyone in here this week have allergies? Any allergy issues? Yeah, I was uh th- I, I uh, that's one of my many weaknesses, but uh I took a Benadryl Monday night and I woke up at four like still struggling. And I was like this is not gonna be a good week. So uh anyway, glad to be here, feeling better. But uh today we're gonna talk about Jesus' first sign. And um the, the talk is greater signs equals greater delight. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about college. I just had become a Christian, and my teammates were giving me a hard time, and they were like, Nathan, why don't you hang out with us anymore? And I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, let's go to the warehouse. I was like, okay, we'll go to the warehouse. So John Brown is, there's Tulsa University over here. There's Fayetteville, Arkansas here. And John Brown is like in the middle. That's where I went to school, is in the middle of those two places, on the border of Arkansas. And I'm going to the warehouse. It's at the University of Arkansas. I get there, and it's a black fraternity party. I'm, I have no problem with a black fraternity party. You got to remember, that alcoholic growing up, so I'd never been to a party, and this was my first party experience. Was the warehouse? I didn't even know what the warehouse was. I just want you to picture me, just this naive kid. I was still naive, is what my wife would say, but especially naive there. And I get there, and man, people are having the time of their life. Like I'm so if I go punch bowl and I, it was spiked i didn't even know what spiked meant at that time so this was just it was an interesting situation and people danced their lives dependent on it i mean it was it was a uh, experience to remember but i'll never forget the last scene of this party i go into the bathroom and this guy is literally on his hands and knees throwing up on the toilet you know i was looking at that guy and i was like Man, what is this guy looking for, right? And wasn't he looking for what all of us are looking for, right? Like purpose, security, life, and fulfillment. For whatever reason, he thought the ultimate fulfillment was going to come at the warehouse. You know, I probably should have shook that guy and be like, Hey, man, it's, life is found in Jesus, not at the warehouse. I didn't do that, but um, it was an interesting story. So anyway... I was out of my comfort zone. when I jump in my truck, 1998, drive back to uh, Siloam Springs, Arkansas. When I'm driving back, of course, I get pulled over by a cop. Don't worry. I, was, I wasn't drinking or anything, but that was my night at the warehouse. But I just want you to think for a second, because we're going to look at the first miracle that Jesus did, right? And a lot of times we look at these miracles like, we've heard of this miracle. Jesus turns the water into wine. But here's the thing. These miracles weren't just for us to get more knowledge. These these works were for us to what? What's the main theme of John? Do you guys remember? It's in John 20. So what? Believe and have life in his name. I love what one man said. This miracle, it's the part of the gospel where the word reveals himself to the world and to his own. So this miracle is so- because Jesus is about to reveal himself to the world and to his people. So there's seven miracles in scripture. This is the first one. And I want to ask some questions before we jump in. How are you responding to Jesus right now? How's your joy? Because this this miracle is about the joy found in God. What are some ways you are not responding to God like you should be? See, God doesn't want us to be like that guy, that guy sitting on his knees, throwing up at the warehouse. You know, I think that's a picture sometimes of what we're like as Christians. God's saying, I want to give you life, and we say, for bowl Christianity. And today, God wants us to celebrate with him. And one last thing before we jump into, I think a lot of us, and kind of nod your head if this was you, growing up, you looked at it's kind of a thing, and like that, like it's kind of like rules and regulations. It's interesting that the first miracle was actually at a party. So each of these characters today is going to show us, we're going to look at three characters, and we're going to see how we should respond to Jesus for ultimate joy. And the first response is Mary's response to Jesus' miracle. And Mary's response shows us this. We must desire obedience. Obedience and joy go together. And see, we got John verse one, it says this On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And don't you love that Jesus eats us where we're at? Man, I, I I've seen some pastors who are like, Man, I'm not even gonna go places, I'm just gonna stay in the all the time. And Jesus goes into this wedding festival. And isn't it crazy to think that obedience would not even be possible if Jesus never left heaven? Like, think about that for a second. He left heaven to come to earth. Now, earth is pretty. Cool. there's some cool stuff here, but leaving heaven for it, that's crazy. And he leaves heaven, but he doesn't just and he comes to a wedding. He was invited. He was right in the middle of real life with real people. Are you doing life with real people? I love when me and Ed play tennis. Man, we're, we're around real people at work. Are you around real people? But what does Mary teach us about obedience? We should look to Jesus when problems arise. John 2, 3, here's what it says. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, Mary is totally in a natural state of mind, right? Like there's a legitimate problem here. The wine is gone. Now, this is a big deal, okay? And I just want to tell you a little bit of the background here. Weddings back then were like a week-long festival, okay? So this was a big deal. And there's a real problem here. And what does she do? She goes straight to Jesus. That's so hard for us, right? We got so many resources here other than God. Like, man, if uh, my tire gets up, I call either my spouse or a friend. Or if you have the insurance, the AAA, you call them, right? If something goes, bad you know, here, I'm going to go to my phone, right? We turned all the other things, but I love this. It says, when the wine ran out, the mother, Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Read this this week. It says, Jesus, mother had been invited to this event. And Jesus, account- the Lord was always welcome among those. Among those having a good time in the right way. Running out of wine represented a social disaster much greater in the first century than it would be today. Disgrace, humiliation, insult, all these or more would be brought upon the family with such carelessness as to allow this to happen. Wedding celebrations in that day, sometimes nearly weak, so wine supply was a major consideration. Now, I want you to think about Mary for a second. Some angel talked to her. She had a kid out of what? So all of her life, they were that weird family, right? Back then, marriage was a sacred component. So like, if you had a kid out of wedlock back then, you're an outcast. Like, it was the opposite of today, right? If you have a kid today, you're an outcast. Like, she was an outcast her whole life. She was like any other mother. She told everyone how great her son was. Now she's at this wedding that she was invited to, and she's like, Okay, let's show them that you really are that kid, you know, that there really is something special <coughs> about you. Listen to Jesus' response, verse 4. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Don't you love that even... In this moment where there's this crisis, Jesus does not lose sight of what God had called him to do. My hour has not yet come yet. Some people think Jesus was being disrespectful. He wasn't being disrespectful. As a matter of fact, we're going through the gospel of John. Man, Jesus says some funny stuff if you read the Bible. And it's almost like, woman, what do you want me to do? You know, what do you want me to do about this? And what's amazing about Jesus is he meets the immediate need without losing sight of the eternal need. He meets this immediate need, because there's a real problem here, without losing sight of why purpose came. Wouldn't it be great if we could live like that? Your life's so tough. For, For us, a lot of you guys have kids, a lot of you guys have big schedules. I know Ed just got another job. Life's so busy. How do we stay in that busyness and not lose sight of our our big vision with the midst of other things going around? When me and Heather got married, our vision as a family was to know God and to make him known. And Jesus says, I have a purpose. I have something bigger than myself. But he still met the need. Listen to this. Throughout all of John, we see that he keeps focus on why he came. John 730. So they were seeking to seize him and no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. This idea of his hour had not yet come. John 820. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one seized them. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Remember, in John 12, he said, Father, if you could save me from this hour, do it. But not my will, but your will. See, Jesus knew at the end of the day, he go to a wooden cross, he was going to die for sinful man, and he was going to defeat death once and for all. And as he was revealing himself for the first time, he made sure that his people knew that. Could you picture being one of his disciples and looking your life? You're like, dude, he said some weird stuff. And then like after he's actually died, risen again, and ascended, you're like, oh, that's what he meant there. His hour. And not yet come. The greatest missionary came with the greatest message, and now we can be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life. Guys, one things I've been wrestling with is how do we stay centered on the main things? You know, like yesterday at the Wong's house, I man, I want to brag on Justin and Amelia. Uh, and you were pretty funny yesterday. So we need to invite you guys up here more often, just to talk to people for Jesus for us, but. But Justin and Amelia are some of the greatest people I know. I mean, this guy, when we had our Easter service last year, it was a big service. I look over at Justin, and I'm like, dude, he's doing the job of, like, three people over there. You know, he's, like, doing the work. And I'm like, who is this guy? We should have found him earlier. And then, then Amelia's having just had a kid and having people over to her house. And I'm just like, you guys are fantastic people. And I, I love that, like, in your walk with Christ, you're willing to step outside of your comfort zone. It was just super encouraging yesterday to be at your house. I just want to encourage you guys for that. But I say that to say, man, God has called us to not lose sight of the main vision. Verse 5. I love this. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says do it. Think about this. Now, I don't know if Heather would ever deal with Nathaniel or Aiden or one of our kids. Like, whatever my son says, do it. But I think Mary has something else to teach us about obedience. And this is what I want to share with you. Not only should we look to him when problems arise, but I think it's on the screen here ready to obey. Now, think about that. I want to a story that came to mind. One time I was sitting down with a college football player who was an All-American at the University of Central Arkansas. And I'm sitting down with him, and I'm sharing the bridge illustration. Isn't anyone seen the bridge illustration? It's a simple way to the good news of Christ. It's Romans 6.23. Man's on one side. God's on the other. And I'm like, man, the payment for sin is what? It's death. And we're sitting there, his meal. I bought him to play. I was like, at least he'll listen for a little while. In the middle of the conversation, James walks up and says, see you later. And just turned his back on me. And, and, you know, campus pastor, I'm like discouraged. What happened there? You know, I thought he was going to come to Christ. A month later, James calls me. He says, man, I became a believer in Christ. And I just share that to say with you guys, that story's not about me. It's about what God was doing. But what I want to say is there's people out there right now who are ready to obey. We're about to see that in, right here. And I want to share this verse real quick before I jump into the rest of this scripture. Why should we obey? i about this. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. John 14, 21. There's this this reality of obedience. God loves us more when we obey him, but he reveals himself more to us. Right? We're about to see that. So that that verse kind of came to mind. John 2.6. In other words, stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. At least there's at least 120 gallons. These servants and what did Mary tell him to do? Do whatever he says, Right? So picture being just a random servant at a wedding. And some mom's like, pretend Justin's Jesus. Do what that guy says. And Jesus said to them, the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said, to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. I love this. Because of Mary's faith, we're about to see some servants have faith in Jesus. Isn't that weird? I mean, could have just been like boom wine, but no. He he used servants. He used his mom, and he said, "Go fill up these water pots." Now, what if you're like one of these servants? Like, man, this this isn't going to work out too good. I mean, what if it's just water? What if something doesn't work out here, and sometimes God calls to obedience to make sense, right? Like sometimes when you know when we, when we worked with students, it was like. When someone broke up with a boyfriend or girlfriend, I was like, that doesn't make sense. When we came to the church, it doesn't make sense Or say, hey, we're going to start doing this because God's called us to. It doesn't always make sense. And what I want to ask you is, is what areas do you need to obey God in? But I think as we see with Mary, these servants were to obey. And I want you to think one second. For the most unlikely candidate you could think of in your life. This person would never believe in Jesus. What if you start praying for that person? The most unlikely. I just looked at my wife and I thought about our both of our brothers. And, and specifically, Joel, just in a, not in a bad way. but Sometimes you see people who seem a little hostile to the gospel. It's like they're never going to obey, right? Harry told these servants, do whatever he says. And they do what he says. So I want to ask you these questions. What areas do you need to obey God in? Because that's great delight. And is there something God is telling you to do that you are not obeying in? And who is that person you need to be praying for this week who's far from God? So Mary's response shows us that there's delight in obedience. But now we're going to see another person's response to Jesus. And it's the head, head toaster. Here's what he shows us. We must not make Jesus a leftover. Okay, who in here likes Mexican food? A couple of you guys. Now, I know nobody has done this but me, but you get your chips and your chow and and you've already ordered your, your steak fajitas, and, like, you know you shouldn't eat it because you're so full from the the salt and the chips but you're like, it's so good, I gotta eat it so you end up eating that and then you're sick for the rest of the day. I know that's happening here, right? But but we're not supposed to get full on the appetizer, right? But sometimes that's how we are with Jesus. You make him the leftover. I'm going to read a quick quote. It says, This miracle was not merely the first sign but a primary sign because It was representative of the creative and transforming work of Jesus as a whole. What was was God towards humans? He created the world. What's his first miracle? Created something. And notice, he created something from nothing, right? Like he took water and he didn't just make it like cheap wine. He made it like really expensive wine. And here's what I, I, my mom drinks wine. So she's got like a wine And what I know about good wine is it takes time, right? Fine wine gets better. Jesus took this water and didn't just make it the junky stuff. He made it the best. He created something out of nothing. It's interesting that God's first miracle was creation. And his first sign was creating water into fine wine. Verse 9, here's what it says. The master of the feast tasted the water now, become, become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water now, remember the servants? They knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. Now, I got some serious party experience. I told you about the warehouse, right? But right, isn't this what happens at parties? You get the good stuff first, Right? And then afterwards, you drink the bad stuff. And that's what happened here, right? So this party's going on. And then in verse 10, what he said? And said to him, everyone serves a good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. I want to point out a couple of things. Because this is just such an awesome story. Is this God's joy is forever. Man, the problem with the guy on the floor the night at the warehouse wasn't that he wanted joy; it's that he wanted the wrong kind of joy, right? It wasn't that he was celebrating too much. It was he settling for too less. I think my Siri's trying to talk to me. Sorry about that. And I love that. That's still working. Still working. Something went wrong. Please try again. Okay, Siri, turn off. I don't know how to work that thing. But right, the problem is, is this joy was insufficient. Preach that, Siri. Sorry. Man, struggle struggling, I guess. It's back on. Go off. Okay, okay. Anyway, this guy settled for the wrong kind of joy. Something else I want to say about this. this is Christianity greater than Judaism. And here's what I mean by this and maybe the better way to say it is christianity is the fulfillment of judaism because you picture going to follow 615 laws all the time and now jesus shows up and it's like the old way was it was sufficient it was the foundation but man the new way is greater because jesus is greater and this is his first sign don't settle for leftovers for judaism when this great joy is offered here and i love this our relationship with Christ to get better and sweeter the longer we walk with them. Right. And don't you love, like, don't maybe this is just me being weird, but don't you love like seeing like old couples who are like still in love, like 56, years. And like, they're barely moving, but they just, man, they just walk together. They look each other in their eyes and you're like, man, that is all. That's what I want with my marriage. But shouldn't we want that with Christ as well? That like, man, I was a Christian in college, but man, I barely love Christ anymore. That, that wouldn't be good. Or I became a Christian younger, but I don't know. What if we love God more and more? And just like this final, man, he gets with time. God wants us to look to delight in him for a lifetime. What were we created to do? We were created to enjoy God. And Christianity is not jesus is at a party creating wine and what i love about this is he wants us to know this isn't a boring thing this isn't a mechanical thing this is the greatest thing we could ever do with our lives light god who is the great just kind of a quiz throw out a few answers who do you think the greatest non-christian myth is if you had to pick a movie character just want to hear a few thoughts Yes. Who? Think, think, a non-Christian missionary. Like, think of fun, funny. The greatest non-Christian missionary movie. And how do you say, I haven't told you, but I think you probably guessed who I'm going to say. I'm not saying there's one right. I know it's weird because I'm saying non-Christian missionary from a movie. Okay, I'll just give you the answer. Buddy the Elf, right? Isn't he the best missionary? I mean, I wrote some notes down about Buddy. We watch that show every year, right? He went to them. He did not expect the people to come to the North Pole, right? He was on a mission trying to find his dad. He tried to bring cheer to his family, right? Like he was always happy. He built stuff. He jumped on mattresses. He showed his brother how to have a snowball fight. And picture if we had more Buddy the Elves as believers. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, man, God's so awesome. You can't run from it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're so delighted in God that you can't help but bring him to everybody. Like, I mean, Buddy's in there. He's like the worst elf builder, and he's still the happiest elf. He has that much joy. And I think this miracle... It reminds us that there is joy in Christ. And just be a thought to ask yourself today is how is your joy level right now? Are you like this random postmaster, the guy who's making toast with the wine, saying, man, this stuff is getting better than the stuff. And a lot of times, myself included, I got to go read my Bible. I got to go to church and the kids are completely nuts, how am I going to do this? And we forget our very purpose was to enjoy the living God. I get it. It's not right. It's hard to live. We don't always live on the mountaintop, but man, there is real joy wherever we're at on the valley and on the mountaintop In quality and quantity. The new made wine more than by the needs and taste of those who attended the feast you know this is um it's funny i've been so i grew up um i grew up my dad was an alcoholic uh christian i was like man what what's the take on drinking you know what i'm saying this just i don't think it's a big take on drinking but it's a little bit so like i have no clue what the bible says about drinking but then i became a you have some Christians who it's like, if you don't drink alcohol, you're in sin. Then you have some other Christians who are like, if you do drink alcohol, you're in sin. You know, all to say, this verse isn't your stance on alcohol. Is, but you, I don't think you could say alcohol is prohibited. It's for sure. But my point in saying that is, I man, I think it's more of a fiction area. So I just want to throw that random thought out there because there's lots of takes. But this isn't a primary issue in the Bible. And sometimes people make it out to be. All right, one last story at this point, then we'll jump to the last point. Uh, We're looking for joy. I see the guy on the toilet throwing up, right? And then I was thinking, we talked about this in Bible study this week. Maybe it was last week. And it's about, you guys know who Deion Sanders is? Here's what it says about him. Here I was driving 70 miles an hour down the highway just looking for a place to all this is when he's in his prime time right nfl player baseball player finally i yanked the wheel to one side and pulled my car off to the road it skidded to a stop in the level sending up a cloud of dust i hesitated for more than a second or two built up my nerve and then put the accelerator to the floor and shot over the edge of the cliff how had i come to such a low point in my life Dion sanders prime time mr millionaire Athlete. All that, I've wondered many times what brought me to that point. How could I have made it to the top of my game in both baseball and football with so much so much money and fame, with commercials and with my face all over the running and on every channel during the season? And off a cliff like that, what happened to me? I had just the best season of my career. Everything I touched turned to gold, but inside I was broken and totally defeated. I remember sitting at the back of the practice field one afternoon, away from everybody, and tears were running down my face. I was saying to myself, this is so meaningless. I'm so unhappy. We're winning every week, and I'm playing great, but I'm not happy. I tried everything, parties, women, expensive jewelry, and gadgets, and nothing helped. There was no peace. I had everything the world has to offer, but no peace, no joy, just emptiness inside. Why do I share that? Deion Sanders became a Christian. And now he coaches at HB, historically, college uh, jacksonville state i think And I, this article we were talking about in bible study was talking about this guy prime time you know what success for dallas cowboys he's coaching at a small school and here's what he said this isn't this is a call to invest in young men's lives why is he doing that i sincerely think it's because he found a relationship with jesus christ doesn't matter if he's coaching the Dallas Cowboys or Jack. This man is on purpose because he found the joy in Christ. Okay, so we've seen two responses of Jesus. Mary shows us that there's obedience, right? The headmaster shows us we don't need to look at Jesus as a leftover. And there's one more response we're going to see today is the disciples' response. And it's just two verses. The disciples' response to Jesus' miracle shows us the light. We must keep believing. Now think back to when you believed the gospel for the first time. For me, it was 1998. That dates me. But here's what verse 11 says. The first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory. Now, could you picture this? I want you to picture what it means when it says manifested his glory. Remember the Old Testament? He would show up and you would see Shekinah glory. You would like actually see the presence of God. And now God is actually there and it's saying his presence. He is revealing his glory. Think about the most glorious thing in your life you've ever experienced. And this is 5,000 times greater than that. It says, and his disciples believed in him. And here's what I want you to know about this. In chapter 1, we saw that some of the disciples believed in him. Right? And I share that with you to say, God doesn't want our faith to be a one-time belief in him. He wants us to believe in him for a lifetime. So when we see these miracles, if we want to experience the light, the disciples show us we have to continue to believe in him. We have access to his glory. Again, God did not give us scriptures for knowledge. He gave it to us to change our lives. We must keep believing. I'll read you one thing as we get ready to close up here. The, actually, I'm going read you two things. The disciples surely did not understand this part of the sign at the moment. But when Jesus held up a cup of wine at the Last Supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. We wonder if any of them remembered the wedding in Cana, when old covenant water became new covenant wine. What a fitting picture of Christ's submission. The continual need for cleansing water reminded the Israelites that they were constantly unclean. But Jesus would cleansing blood is the wine that would satisfy forever. What a great picture. What a great picture. And this God who said, my hour is not yet come, go to a cross and die so we didn't have to end up on our hands and knees throwing up in a toilet bowl, right? He doesn't want to just give us joy in this life. He's going to give us eternal joy for forever. I'm going to close on this because I think it's that powerful. The Apostle John gives Jesus eight titles in the first chapter alone. God, life, light, fullness, Christ, Lord, Lamb of God. John 2 tells how his, Jesus' disciples embrace who he is after he performs his first miracle at the wedding of Cana. They bought into the identity before they bought into the cause. Listen to that. We buy into Jesus. Jesus, you don't come to Jesus and he says, hey, do 500 things for me. We come to Jesus because he loves us. And these disciples just came to him because this was who he was. This was his identity. This is how the law binds. People buy into the leader before they accept the vision. Once they believe the leader, they generally go with the vision. Once the disciples recognized Jesus' identity, they felt ready to do whatever the whatever he called them to do. The leader's credibility precedes the leader's plan. Here's what I want to... Guys, let's just love Jesus this week. In a fresh way. Because you might have 5,000 things on your to-do list when you get home. You guys just moved into your house. You might have 5,000, I don't know, checklists to do. It's not bad to have your checklists. But let's put loving Jesus at the priority this week and experience his joy afresh. Because when we do that, we won't have to do his stuff. We'll get to do his stuff. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your good news. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you died for us. And Lord, thank you that you give us eternal delight. Lord, I'm thankful as I think through the warehouse. The Lord the things we're looking for are found in you, Lord, not in the things of this world. And I pray this week that we would experience your joy. Amen.